know every time you go to a new place or a place you haven't been in a while, you forget what order things are. So let me say good morning. It's good to see everyone this morning, and I'm glad that you've invited me to come and share a little bit of God's Word with you this morning. I'm sure that the story that we read this morning was not one that is unfamiliar to you, I hope. We often refer to the story as the prodigal son, where we have one son who decided he was time for him to get out on his own. He wanted dad's inheritance to take as soon as possible, and he went out and spent it on riotous living. But the other half of this story is one we don't talk about a whole lot, because I think really when you look at it, it gets very personal. It's that older brother, the one who stayed home. And I want to talk about him this morning. Because as we look at this older brother, there are some things going on that I think maybe apply to us as Christians, not so much as ones who have left the fold and trying to come back, but maybe somebody can relate in a way that says, hey, you know, I hadn't thought about it that way before. Because that's how it was for me when I actually started studying this topic. You know, when we first meet this man, it says that he's in the field he had been out working. And as you look at this older brother, you see a consummate son. He is the one that goes out and he works for the father. He's in the field laboring. He's taking care of business. He would be what I would call the consummate stay-at-home, take care of the family, keep the family business going, and all of the things that needed doing, he kind of oversaw and he did it. It says he came in from the field. He was in the field working. He wasn't just one who pointed to servants and said, go. He was actually out there getting his hands dirty and doing what needed to be done. This young man stayed home, and he kept things going. Wouldn't you love to have a son that could do that? Wouldn't you love to have a business that you can have a son to do that? But more importantly, if you equate it to our Christian lives, you would look at him as probably the consummate Christian. He was the guy who was loyal and faithful. It says, as he drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. Now, he's been out working all day. It's been a rough day, maybe. I don't know. And he's coming in from the barn up to the house. I've been there. I've worked in the fields for my parents while we were at my grandparents' house in Gainesville, Texas. And I will tell you that working in the field is a hard work. <laughs> I didn't like it. I loved the food, but I didn't like having to pick peas and corn. And I really didn't like picking okra. I liked eating it, but I didn't like picking it. And it was hot, digging potatoes. You know what I'm talking about. It was just, it's a long working day. And you're hot, and you're tired, and you come up, and there's a party going on. And I mean, this is what he sees. He's got this party happening. And so it says he called one of the servants and asked what was going on. He says, your dad's killed the fatted calf. And he says, he got angry. He said, your brother came home, but he got angry. Why did he get angry? Why did he get angry? What was it about this party, maybe this party in particular, that he got angry about? He says, well, I'm not going in there. It says, he asked the servants what these things meant, and he says, well, I'm not going in there. No, 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 we're not going to do that. We're not having this. My brother is not going to come home 
and get this kind of treatment. And so he wouldn't go in. You know, when you look at it, I think the anger of the, younger, of the older brother wasn't necessarily because the younger brother was home, although that was definitely a part of it. But I think it was a question of fairness. I think he thought that his brother's return had diminished his status and made him feel that he didn't get what he deserved. If you think about everything, it was really about what about me? He says, I've been working in the field. I've been taking care of everything. You've never given anything to me. You know, Romans chapter 6, verse 1, it's, it's kind of along these lines. It says, what, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Here's my brother. He goes out and does all this crazy living. He comes back and you throw a party for him. Maybe that's what I should have done. Have you ever felt that way? How come you get and I don't? You got a raise. How come I didn't get a raise? Well, Dad likes you better than he likes me. I've always been the runt. I've always been the one that nobody really wanted to be around. I complain at work when I work at the hospital. I have a voice that nobody pays attention to. I think it's because it's high that it just blends in with the background. I don't know. But it's a question of, of being fair. What about me? What do I get? If you think about it, the only thing we fought this guy with is his anger. In 2 Peter chapter 3, 9, it says, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And you think, well, that's great. God wants everybody saved. And we say, yes, He does. But then we have someone come back and we think, okay, I'll believe it when I see it. This is the fourth time. I don't know about that. Nobody ever got excited about me coming to church. Nobody ever got worked up that, you know, I was here. Hey, Dad. Where's mine? But that's how we felt. We fought this guy with his anger and his confusion over seeing the treatment that his brother got. And he thinks, I've spent my whole life working for you. I've never left. I've never done anything wrong. I've never done anything bad. And yet he comes back and he gets everything. Where's mine? You know what the sad thing is? Is we as Christians feel that way today. We feel that way. I've been, used, been working for Christ my whole life. I've never left Him. I've always done what was right. I never gave anything up. I didn't go scooting around at college doing the bad things. I, didn't, I wasn't out getting drunk and carousing and having fun like everybody else was. And here this guy, he's a friend of mine, and he's been doing everything you can imagine, right down to the drugs and the degradation of life. And he comes back to Christ, and you know what? Christ is going to give him the same reward as he's going to give me. Now, how is that fair? Does my 20 years of service to Christ or 30 years or 50 years not count for anything? We're going to get the same kind of house, the same kind of place in the family? That's how this older brother felt. And you say, well, I would never feel that way. But, you know, sometimes we do. We look at reward and we think, how is that fair? I didn't get any of that. You ever notice when a sinner comes back, someone who's been out there doing it, and then they come back and you say, welcome back. And then you walk off going, I'll believe it when I see it. Proof is in the pudding. 
no one ever recovers from being an addict of any kind. We're taught that. And we don't rejoice. We welcome back with reservation. And yet, here in Luke, the 15th chapter, it's all about the lost being brought back. And it says, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. We don't have much joy. We have a lot of reservation. It's sad. Why can't we get excited when the church grows? You know, I worked with the church. Worked with the church. I attended a church when I was in college. And you know what they told us? We had an exciting group of young men. Mike and I were talking about it earlier today. They said, we don't want to grow. We don't want their problems. We don't want to bring in all the other people. We like it how it is. I think there's one couple still attending that congregation. Keep the doors open. But what has that done for the kingdom? What has that done for their soul? What has it done for those who were trying to work in the kingdom? You see, we want it done, but when it comes right down to it, we don't want to pay the price or to be joyous about it because I think we don't understand who we are in Christ. Romans chapter 1 says that these people have changed the truth of God into a lie and worship and serve the creature more than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. You see, I think a lot of times our worship to God is about us and not about God. It's about what we get out of it. Have you talked to people like that? They want to find a church that they feel the Spirit. They want to go to a place that they feel welcome. They want to be where they can grow or learn or feel fed all the time not realizing what's really going on in worship to God when you see this kind of attitude in life you either have a lost person masquerading as a saved person or you have someone who is out of God's will see often it's not about God it's about us and really our worship to God should be about God we had a study this weekend over Job, and I'll tell you what, I never thought Job would be as complicated as it is. It's messy, it's ugly, and it's, it's amazing to me how much I learn from Job. Both through personal experience in this study just really helped open my eyes to see that a lot of times what I think is right may not be. And what I thought I understood, maybe I didn't. And there's a lot of things that maybe I don't understand. You know, my life is a lot like Paul in Romans chapter 6 or 7, verse 19. It says, For the good that I will to do, I do not, but the evil I will not do, that I tend to practice. There's a tension inside of each and every one of us. And this older brother had that tension. He was trying to get it figured out. Why was they celebrating my brother when I haven't gotten anything? And that's the real crux of the matter. He's never recognized me, but he's recognizing my brother. I love him and want him to be better, but I sure don't like him being home. Sure messing a lot of things up. See, we need to realize that this tension is present within each and every one of us. This desire to be righteous and yet finding ourselves not and enjoying it. Do you ever think that maybe the older brother 
didn't have it figured out who he was before the father? The father came out and said, Son, you're always with me, and all that I have is yours. Everything the father had was his. Think about it. The younger son had already taken his inheritance. He'd spent it, and now he came back, and he was ready to be a servant. He was ready to just humble himself so totally that even as a son of the Lord, just take me back as one of your servants. Have you ever been there? We talk about humbling ourselves before our God. That's humble, folks. You finally wake up realizing the pigs are having a better life than you are. A lot of us say, well, you know, they've got to reach the bottom of the barrel. They've got to hit bottom before they can get better. And you're right. But how many of us are standing here looking at them going, I hope you make it up out of the mire. That's how this older brother was. I don't think he understood who he was. I think it was a question of wrong thinking. You see, it started off a question of fairness, but I think the fairness question was because he didn't understand who he was. The elder son was clueless as to the place that he had in his father's house. How many of us here are Christians this morning? Believers and practicers and practitioners of Jesus Christ's teachings and followings. A lot of us, most of us. Have you ever thought about your position in the father's house? I want you to think about that as we look at the older son. He was clueless. Look at what it says here. It says, Lo, these many years I've been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. Uh, hello, the goat's yours. Everything in the father's house was now the older son's. You never gave me a goat. Well, you want a goat? Get a goat. Want to have a party? Have a party. It's your house. It's yours. He never understood that. You know, they call this the adopted child syndrome. Have you ever heard of that? Families established and they adopt a child in. He's probably between 3 and 10. And he's very standoffish for the first two years. Do you know why? He doesn't think it's real. I'm not really a son. I'm just adopted. I'm not really the one that owns everything now. I don't have access to everything. I'm just the son. Would you give up everything to your child while you were still living? We have what's called living wills. Where that's already the case, but we're the trustees as long as we're alive. <laughs> right? But it's, it's better than that. It's all his. He has access to all of it. And the adopted child has access to all of the rights and titles as being a child, but he never understands that sometimes. It's the foster child syndrome or the adopted child syndrome. They think it's going to be over any time. They don't get it. I want you to think about this in John chapter 3, verse 35. It says, The Father loves the Son and has given all things into His hand. Now, Jesus Christ came to this earth, took on the form of humanity, 
lived his life as a man with all the frailties, with all the foibles, with all the temptations, with all the desires, and lived it righteously. Right? But even while he was on earth, it says the Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Jesus lived as though he were a son of God and not as one wanting to be. Matthew chapter 11, verse 27 says, All things have been delivered to me by my Father. He understood this. He, he knew that it was his. And no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son and the one to whom his Son wills to reveal him. You see, Jesus knew he was the Son of God. He was, he was here on earth. He was a true Son, and he lived it. He accessed everything that was available to him to use. He had the full measure of the Spirit. He could do miracles. He could save people. He could forgive sins. And he knew he had that authority because he was what? The Son of God. And he lived as the Son because he knew God held nothing back from him. So think about it. A true son or a true child lives from a place of provision and acceptance. A true son knows that his inheritance is his to receive freely. He has access to everything. Now I want you to think about yourselves as we go through these because we're going to talk about that here in just a minute, how this all applies to us. A true son understands that everything in the Father's kingdom is available to him. And a true son is not threatened by what is given freely to others. You see, Jesus wasn't threatened by others coming into the kingdom. In fact, that was his whole reason for being there. He didn't want an empty house. He wanted everybody in there. And so he did all he could to provide a way that everybody could be in there. He lived knowing he was a true son, but more importantly, he knew that his father had so much to give that there was no way he could hold it all himself. And so he poured it out on everybody else. I think we are hoarders. I think we like what God gives us. Our blessings, our things, our wants, our desires. And we want those things. We like those things. And I don't want to give them up. But the truth is, God has so much to give us that we couldn't hold it all even if we wanted to. We need to learn to live as true children of God, not as hopeful children of God. That's why when I said, you know, the Bible says that it's written so that we may know we have eternal life, someone says, well, I sure hope so. I said, no, you don't understand. If you have eternal life through the Son of Jesus Christ, you are to know that. You are to live as though you are in your eternal life already started. You're a child of God. Live like a child of God. We've got to start thinking like a true son. That God has held nothing back from us. In John, 1 John 1, 1, Behold what manner of the love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Jesus has made it so that you and I are called the sons of God, the children of God. Look at what it says here in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. According as divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness. 
through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue. He's given you everything. Jesus said, if I had faith as a mustard seed, I can say to this mountain, move, and it would be picked up and moved by the sea, and it would happen. Now, you know what he's saying here? You have access to God and all of eternity. He's given you everything as a true child of God. A true child of God can call God Abba, Father. You're not just adopted. You are a true child of God. We need to start living like Him. He has held nothing back from us. Luke chapter 15, verse 31, it says, And He said to him, You are always with me, and all that I have is yours. All that I have is yours. You know, up to this point in the prodigal's return, the eldest son was the ideal Christian. You think about it. He did everything the Father wanted him to do. He took care of the fields. He took care of the home. He was there with the Father. He obeyed the Father. He was never outside the Father's will. He went to church. He was there every service. He was always there with his family. He brought everybody with him. And yet for some reason, like the elder son, we come to church and we still feel like we're on the outside. We're still looking for something. One guy says that you could be coming to church every Sunday and be lost in the pews. And it's because we don't see ourselves as true children of God. We begrudge those who we see as true children of God because we can't feel like that for some reason. We haven't let go of this earth and lived as though we're in heaven. Do you know that you're already in the kingdom of God? We're going to talk about being in the kingdom of God this afternoon. But it's sad that we can be children of God and still miss out on our inheritance. And it shouldn't be that way. We shouldn't be that way. The ideal Christian being lost in the pews, me, lost in the pews? You see how this starts getting personal? It's a question of purpose. It's a question of purpose. He was a son, and as a son, all that the Father had was his and available to him. But because he was clueless to the vast wealth that he had access to, that was his that was available to him. He labored year after year after year hoping to be recognized by the Father. What he didn't understand was the Father already recognized him as a son. He never tapped into his inheritance. Year after year, he never saw what he had. You see, I think you and I as children of God have a greater purpose in Christ than we ever thought about. And I think as we look at this to live as children of light, we need to understand that he's talking about you and I living as true children of God. Not as wannabes or not as hope-to-bes, and maybe the gates will open up for me when I get there, but the gates are already open up. Your home is already ready. Jesus Christ is waiting for you because He's already prepared a place for you. Comfort yourselves. Be happy with that. You're a child of God. 
Why do you act like you're not? Why do you act like you're not? You see, Jesus didn't come with the purpose of making us sinless, but Jesus came so that we could overcome our sin. He forgives us of our sin. And daily it says in 1 John, if we ask Him to forgive us, He's just and willing to forgive us. So let's start living like we're children of God. We need to view life from the perspective as children of God, that we can take hold of everything that God has given us. Remember, it's not to make us sinless, but it's to help save us from our sins, to overcome who we are by nature, to be a child of God. First John, or excuse me, John 10:10 10, 10 says, "I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly." Do you get the more abundantly part? Folks, the goat is yours. You're a child of God. He's given you freedom from sin. He's given you power over death. He's given you a home eternal. That is yours. We need to take up residence and start living as though we, we live in our home. In Romans chapter 6, 22, it says, But now being made free from sin and become servants to God, you have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. That's a child of God. That's what we have to look forward to. Those who aren't children of God don't have that. And if you're a child of God, that's yours. You need to start living like it. Don't live on the outside playing around, folks. You're either a child of God or not. If you're a child of God, start living like it. A child of God has his fruit unto holiness. And his life leans and leads towards everlasting life with our God. You know, the abundant life that he has promised us, it's not about what we abstain from. You know, I'll, I'll talk to a lot of people. I don't want to be a Christian because there's too many rules and thou shalt not and you can't and you can't do this and you can't do that. You know, you just have to abstain from everything, but that's not what Christianity is about. That's not what the abundant life is about. It's not about what we abstain from, but rather what we give ourselves to. What do you give yourself to? give yourself to Jesus Christ you make yourself a child of God and peace which passes all understanding becomes yours if you live like a child of God it's not a, a, a great burden to live as a Christian once you figure it out that you're a child of God it becomes a wonderful life it becomes a, a way of living that brings joy even in the times of sorrow brings even greater joy in the times of pain that we can overcome because we don't see ourselves just here we see ourselves living in a kingdom that was ready for us and prepared for us think about what it says here in Romans chapter 8 16 it says the spirit itself beareth witness with our spirits that we are the children of God 
God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit, bears witness with our spirit that is within us that we are the children of God. There's no, no lie. No denying it. You've got to stop living as though you want to be and start living as though you are. The older son was living a life wanting to be like the father. He wanted to be the owner of the mansion. He wanted to be the owner of the farm. He wanted to be the one who could do. And he always lived as though he were a servant. Folks, you're more than a servant. Was what he did wrong? No. But he didn't quite grasp the whole situation. You and I need to live as though we have no lack, as though the entire kingdom of heaven is available to us. And understand the riches of His grace that's unfathomable to the extent that we can give it to others and show them the same thing that you and I can live for. To live in the heart of Christ is to live a life that is free from sin, free from worry, free from guilt, overcoming this world to live eternally with our God. The Father said, all that is mine is yours. As a child of God, you live as a son. You lack nothing because everything in the kingdom of heaven is yours. Think about that. We keep trying to live a good life, but the truth is, when you live as a son, you're already in the good life. You already do those things. He said, all that is mine is yours. And God means that. He means that all He has, all the resources available from Him are available to you, to me, as children. In 1 John chapter 2 and verse 25 it says, And this is the promise that He hath promised us even eternal life. Folks, He didn't promise us you might get a chance to get in the line. He said, I promised you that you follow me. You become a child of God. You have eternal life. It's yours. Do you live like you have eternal life? Or do you live afraid of everything that's going to happen over the next few months, few minutes, few years? It's not going to be easy, easy, but I'll tell you what, it sure takes a load off of my mind knowing I have a kingdom, I have a home and a mansion, and that this life is just but a breath. And I have so much more to do and look forward to in the kingdom of God. You rejoice with unspeakable, with joy, rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Re read that whole thing and see what it says to you. And then at the end it says, Rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith. This is what it's all about. This verse kind of sums up everything that our Christianity is about. Look at it. Wherein you greatly rejoice. Though now, for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations. It goes on to say that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than that of gold, even though it be tried with fire, excuse me, 
might be found unto praise and honor and glory of the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love, in whom, though you now see him not, yet believing you rejoice with joy unspeakable. This is about being a child of God. This is about being in Jesus Christ. This is what it's all about, folks. Even though you have go through manifold temptations and you have things that are going to be hard on your life, he doesn't, you know, I had one couple that became a Christian and they left about a year later because nothing in their life changed. And everything was still bad. They still had their debt. They still had all the problems with their kids. He said, I thought when I became a Christian, it all got better and all that stuff went away. You know what? The Bible doesn't say it's going to go away. He says, but I'm going to teach you how to have joy and get through it. I'm going to teach you how to live a life so that that's not the hardest thing for you to deal with. I'm going to teach you how to have joy. I'm going to teach you how to have all of the gifts of the heaven, heavenly kingdom at your fingertips. I'm going to teach you how to be a child of God. That's what it's been about. As a, as a son and child of God, you understand what the Father meant, that all that I have is yours. Eternal life, unspeakable joy, the ability to withstand the fiery trials of life. And as I read this story about the older brother, I wonder, have I been that guy? Am I the guy that's upset because my brother came home? Am I jealous that God is treating him well? I don't know. What about you? Have you ever noticed that there's no ending to this story? Did the brother ever go in? Did he ever go into the porch and say, Hey, I'm home. Dad was right. Here I am. Welcome home. I'd like to think that he did. But you know, the story doesn't end with a, an ending. And I think it didn't end because he's given you the story. He's given you the opportunity to write the ending. And it's not because you've looked at others and said, oh, I'll, I'll believe it when I see you. You've really changed. I just, you know, we're going to reserve that. You know, some of us are that way. And rightly so, maybe. But I think more importantly, it's because we've not been living as a child of God. We've been living as a guy wanting to be a child of God. And he wants us to live as a child of God. How does the story end? That's yours to write. How will your story end? Or maybe begin? Every individual must write the ending of their own story. How will yours finish up? The lesson is yours this morning. I know it might be a little short, but... I appreciate your attention and understanding about this older brother because I think he's very important that you and I see what he went through and maybe avoid some of those things in our lives so that we can live as a child of God in the kingdom of God as a true son of God. If we can be of help to you in any way this morning, won't you make your desires known as we stand and sing the song that's been selected?